Thank you for choosing to connect with North Collins Wesleyan Church. We are a church of all ages that is passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our congregation enjoys worship, fellowship, discipleship, and community outreach. Our worship services are every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. found in North Collins, New York. The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Justin Leininger. Again, thank you for joining with us, and we hope you enjoy. In Matthew chapter 16, we find Jesus and his disciples together in a special moment. And in this moment, we find Jesus and his disciples 12 chapters after Jesus first called his, his first disciple to follow him. And so we don't know exactly the time period that changed over those 12 chapters, but we recognize that time has passed and they are, they are together and they've had important moments together. And Jesus has a chance to just share and love and care and, and hopefully grow them. And so he comes to this moment where after that's all happened, where it's time for something important in terms of conversation. He thinks, okay, these disciples, they are ready for a moment. And so Jesus asks his disciples first this question. He says, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? The disciples gave some different answers, and then Jesus asked, all right, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Now, Peter gets it, one of his disciples, and he says, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is big. It is clear that the disciples are starting to get it. They're starting to understand Jesus is special. He's, he's someone different. And from here on out, Jesus begins to be even more open with them about what is going to come. And maybe more importantly, he gives some clarity about what it means to be a disciple. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Because this next truth about what it would mean to be a disciple is an incredibly hard lesson for each and every one of us. It was difficult for the disciples to grasp and understand. In fact, we're going to see a fairly confrontational moment with Jesus and his disciples and it is going to be hard for us as well, but it is incredibly fundamental if we want to be people who grow disciples and if we want to be disciples ourselves. And so we find this discussion between Jesus and his disciples. We find it in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 27. In your pew chair Bibles, if you want to look there, you can. It's found on page 973. And so what we're going to look at is actually we're going to, we're going to read a bit of Jesus' initial discussion, what I've already kind of told us about, and we'll see the details of that, and we'll see how it continues and how it kind of breaks down, especially for Peter. It gets a little rough for him for just a few moments, and this is what it says. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. In verse 17, we're about to see Peter at probably the greatest moment ever, right? Peter, like this is like Peter's dance moment. Like this is ever, like victory dance. This is amazing because this is what Jesus says about Peter. Verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this, is not, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Things are fantastic for Peter in this moment. Now between that verse and the next one, we're not sure how much time has passed. Probably, probably at least more than a few moments. In fact, it could be a day or so, but kind of the discussion has continued because this moment has been opened up with the disciples, and so Jesus is going to go deeper with them, and we'll see that Peter's reign on top of like the clouds or whatever in the dance party moment is, is not going to continue for him. And so this is what happens. Verse 21, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. See, Jesus sees that they're getting it, right? They're starting to get it. And so he starts to give them the truth about what it means to be a disciple, what is going to happen. But because he does this, and he he talks about how it's going to mean sacrifice and death and all of these things, verse 22, it says this. It says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So this is, we find in scripture, probably one of the hardest reality checks you're ever going to see. Someone who who goes super high and then is brought back to earth really, really quickly. Peter, in the course of seven verses, he gets referred to by Jesus as blessed. He's given a brand new name. He's like Simon up until that moment, and then all of a sudden, he's Peter. He is told that he's going to be the rock that Jesus builds his church on, and he is given the keys to the kingdom. And as everything is looking great, Peter is, he has to be flying high. I mean, this is Jesus who just said these things about you. That's got to be pretty wonderful, pretty fantastic. But then within those seven verses, everything falls apart because Jesus will say slightly, just slightly refers to him as Satan. And that's pretty rough, right? Like, like as things go, like Jesus referring to you as Satan is pretty difficult. And, and maybe we could say, well, like he didn't actually call him Satan, right? He was maybe referring to his actions, to the things he said, to the temptation that he brought at that moment as Satan, to like Satan working in him. He didn't necessarily call him Satan, but that's is probably just as bad, right? Especially when you're like, here's the keys to the kingdom, and then you go to this moment. Has anyone ever fallen quite so fast? Now, you can imagine this is one of those awkward moments, those moments where, like, all of the other disciples, like, everybody around, it gets really quiet really, really quickly. You can kind of imagine this is one of those moments where none of the disciples are making eye contact like you can't in this moment. And Peter is probably trying to disappear in a hedge right now, right? Like he's trying to just slowly fade into some hedges or something and disappear forever. It is difficult. These words of Jesus are pretty 
dramatic. I mean, it's, it's really difficult. He, he referred to him as, as Satan. And you have to wonder, were the words that Peter used, were they such a big deal? But then Jesus clarifies. He gives us some clarity and instruction on what it means to be a disciple. And we see the truth. This is a very, a very, a very big deal. Over the past three weeks, we have defined what a disciple is. We've said this, a disciple is someone following Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus, to be committed to the mission of Jesus. That is what a disciple is. We figured out how discipleship happens. Discipleship happens through intentionally living a life following Jesus Christ with someone else. Intentionally taking someone else on the journey of this Christian walk, and that is discipleship. Now we see the last piece, what discipleship takes. What does discipleship really truly take to be made real in our lives? It takes this. It takes sacrifice for each and every one of us, for you, for us as a church, to change this community, to invest as parents, as family, as friends, as neighbors, as brothers and sisters in Christ it takes personal sacrifice. There is no other way. There is no other way. This past Friday, many of you may not have known, was a very special day. This past Friday was National Taco Day. Did anyone want to volunteer that you like celebrated National Taco Day? I'll be honest, my family completely missed it. We missed it. But Friday was National Taco Day. Hopefully you had a chance to enjoy that at some part in time. Now, first thing, I do have a small complaint. How is National Taco Day on a Friday? Because tacos are obviously meant to be eaten on what day? Tuesday, right? Yeah, Taco Tuesday. Everybody knows that. How is National Taco Day on a Friday? But there it is. It was on a Friday. Now, I, I researched this a little bit, and there's been a big debate, and there is always a big debate around tacos, a very big debate. And that is, what kind of shell do you prefer? Are you a soft shell or a hard shell person? And like this can be a hugely dividing feature in our world. In fact, there is a study done by one poll that shows the difference between hard shell and soft shell taco people is supposedly very, very real. And this is not perfectly down the line, of course, but studies show that the overwhelming majority, this is, this is very interesting. For example, this study shows that more often than not, hard shell people prefer dogs while soft shell people prefer cats. That's pretty interesting, right? Hard shell people prefer Batman, while soft shell people prefer Superman. That one kind of makes sense to me a little bit, right? Like hard shell people, that's like a Batman kind of thing. Soft shell, I mean Superman, he's just like a big bunny, right? Yeah, and that kind of, that makes sense just a little bit. Hard shell eaters are more likely to be early risers, and soft shell eaters are more likely to be heavier sleepers. Hard shell eaters tend to be more extroverted. Soft shell eaters are a little bit more introverted. Hard shell people tend to be more likely to read, while soft shell people tend to be more likely to, to watch TV or a movie. You want my honest opinion on all of this? When it comes to hard shell and soft shell, I'll be completely honest. I don't care. I don't care. They're both, the, tacos are tacos, and they're amazing. They're amazing. Believe it or not, my family did have tacos this week. We didn't have it on Friday. Somehow I missed that, but we had it, and I believe it was on Tuesday because we're good Americans, right? And Taco Tuesday, yeah, right on. So, so we had those tacos, and I noticed something happening, and 
it's a horrible thing that I'm going to be struggling with for the next like 20 years of my life. As we had tacos, my son Seth ate three tacos. He is, he is six years old and he downed three tacos like it was nothing. And I started to look at that and realize like, I'm going to be giving up my tacos. I've got two boys coming through and like, my taco days are over. Like, what is, what is going on? And I started to recognize, like, you know, I signed up for a lot of things when I decided to be a father, but, like, this is not one of them. This is not, this is not a part of my life and my decisions, but it is the truth. And, and it reminds us of this. When it comes to being influential in someone else's life, and so please hear this. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. When it comes to being influential in someone else's life, that means sacrifice. Think about Jesus Christ for a second. If you take out Jesus' sacrifice for us, there's a lot of wonderful stuff there. But it's the sacrifice that has changed our lives. If you want to be influential in someone's life, you want to be meaningful in their lives, it takes sacrifice. It takes sacrifice. Jesus' words to Peter here, they are direct, they are serious, they are confrontational. He refers to him, hopefully he doesn't call him, but he refers to him as Satan in this moment. Why? Because this is the key to everything. Peter doesn't understand what Jesus is here to do. His, his thoughts and his interest in Jesus are in, in what Jesus is creating, what he's forming, what he is doing. And, and Peter sees Jesus as a king, as a ruler. And, and so the very thought of Jesus being sacrificial, of, of dying for others, that just doesn't fit. Simply put, Peter is, is being selfish. Selfish for himself and his future and maybe I like to give Peter a little bit of credit here. Maybe Peter is being partially selfish for Jesus, right? Like he wants, he loves Jesus and he wants to see the best happen for Jesus and death and sacrifice. That doesn't work into it. Jesus should be the king. He should be lifted high. And so he, he has these thoughts and, and Jesus sees that. Jesus knows the temptation here. He was tempted by Satan himself, Right? for many days, had this opportunity to make life about himself, and, and Jesus actually feels that temptation to be selfish. And so Jesus confronts it directly. Let's be clear, Peter's thoughts are practical. They are human. They are relatable. Selfishness is something we all, we all feel. You have felt selfishness before. I have felt selfishness. I feel selfishness every single day day. It is real and it is true. We all feel it. Jesus referring to Satan seems almost too much, right? But may we recognize selfishness for what it really is. Selfishness is one of Satan's greatest weapons against us and against the church and against the kingdom of God. It is not tragedy in our lives. It is not strife. It's not war. It is our own personal selfishness. He uses our own very real, very natural tendencies to simply be selfish. Satan is behind that. I really, truly believe that. I have to wonder, as we think about dis discipleship and, and being intentional in other people's lives, is Satan behind our lack of discipleship? Is Satan here in our lives simply using our selfishness to stop us from intentionally investing in others? Is selfishness stopping you from being a true disciple or a true discipler of Jesus Christ? 
Jesus saw selfishness for the incredible danger and darkness that it was. And if you want to be a disciple, it means personally sacrificing for the life of others around you. Now, without convoluting this and throwing this whole message off course, are you, are you following like all the political stuff that's happening right now or have you just kind of turned everything that way off? Are you following like the whole words and talks of impeachment and everything that is there in that process or should we talk about any of that? That sounds like super fun, doesn't it? It sounds super amazing and great, not at all. When it comes to political issues, and we're talking about gun control and health care and all of those things that are out there, the list could go on. Those things are so polarizing, aren't they? Why do they divide us so quickly? Why do these issues divide us so quickly? It's become almost impossible to have any kind of real conversation about any of those issues with people, isn't it? You can't have a real conversation about them. Why is that? Well, let me just say one little thing that I have noticed. We make these things so personal. And when we make things personal, when it is personal to us, it is hard not to respond in a selfish way. Think about that. We make these things so personal. And when it's personal, it is hard not to be selfish. When my opinion is attacked, that quickly leads to my, me feeling like my party, my person is attacked. That quickly makes me feel like I and my life are being attacked. And too often we look at things politically from the viewpoint of what is best for me and not what is best for my nation. Let me say that again. Too often we think about things in the terms of what is best for me and not what is best for my nation. Because we recognize this, if it is personal, it can become selfish so quickly. If it's about what's best for our nation, well, that might be a discussion that we can have, right? Because you're not attacking me. We're just talking about a viewpoint about how to make our country better. But if we're talking about something that's personal, that's selfish, it is so easy for our claws to come out, right? Because we know this is the truth. You can't argue with selfishness. You can't argue, you can't have a discussion. You can't have a connection with a selfish person. You can't communicate with a selfish person. You can't move forward with a selfish person. Selfishness ruins families, it's true. Selfishness stops the potential of churches. Selfishness cancels out any impact that we could have with other people in our lives. Selfishness does that. Think about families for a second. Families are so durable. I have seen families bounce back from the brink. Families bounce back from things that we just think this family should be torn apart. There is no hope for them, but somehow a family survives. I believe a lot of this is because God is in the family unit. He created the family unit. He blesses it and he works through it and we see that happen. There are so many mistakes that we make that we think should destroy our families, but they don't. The family unit is strong and it can overcome. But some families do fall apart. Why is that? I believe the answer is right here. It is selfishness. Parents, be reminded of that. What destroys our families, our own personal selfishness. It is our own personal selfishness. Selfish actions and decisions, selfish lifestyles, selfishness. 
Why are so many churches not as influential in people's lives, in their community, in the world as they should be? The answer is the same, isn't it? It's selfishness. We want church to be our way for us, exactly the way we think it should be made and tailored for me. Selfishness destroys what could be. And why are Christians not impacting the people of the world around them more than we could and should be? Do we have to even say it? It is clear. It is our own selfishness, isn't it? Selfishness puts, puts a wall between what could be, what God can do, and what our reality is. Jesus said this in verse 24. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. To follow Jesus Christ, to be his disciple, means each of us intentionally pushing our selfishness aside and deciding to sacrifice for him. The key to discipleship becoming a reality in our families, in our church, and in the lives of the people we care about comes down to each and every one of us defeating our selfishness, denying ourselves and not making life about us, but about Jesus and about others. If you want to be a true disciple, your life cannot be about you. If you want to be a true disciple, your life cannot be about you. Remember, it was in Jesus' first call of his very first disciple. Part of being a disciple is making more disciples inherently at its center, at its start, at its core. Being a disciple is about other people. It is about other people and being willing to carry your cross to sacrifice for other people. Now, during this entire message, you may have noticed that I've been having a lot of fun here on stage carrying a cross around. This has not been my favorite message ever. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. It's one of those things that you have hopefully noticed me struggling with at times. Maybe the service continued and you kind of forgot that it was there. Um, And that's a little bit of how it works, isn't it? When we sacrifice and suffer for others, more often than not, most of the world forgets it's even happening. But we feel that burden. There have been points in this message that have been inconvenient for me, especially when I'm trying to like turn pages. That is kind of the worst. And maybe you like watched and even like held your breath in a moment. Is he going to drop that on his foot um, as he tries to turn the page or not? And you've seen me struggle with that. But this is what it takes, isn't it? If you want someone to follow Jesus Christ, if you want someone to go deeper in their relationship with Jesus Christ, this is what it takes. For each and every one of us, this is what it takes. Parents out there, if you are doing your job right now, you are doing this right now. You have a cross on your shoulders and it is heavy. You sacrifice and you suffer. You put your own intentions and desires for your life on hold. You deny yourself because you want to see that young person follow Jesus Christ. This is what it takes. This is what it takes. For those of us here as a church, this is what it takes. If it doesn't hurt to be involved here a little bit, if it doesn't hurt to invest in someone else's lives, if coming to church isn't just a little bit of an inconvenience, if there's not awkward moments, moments that just don't feel great to you because you're trying to help someone else connect with Jesus Christ, are we doing it right? 
we're not. Jesus said we have to deny ourselves and our own wants and desires, sacrifice for other people, be willing to do that so that they can grow closer to Jesus Christ. I know many of us here, we have family members and friends that we want to see grow closer to Jesus Christ. They may be here in this room. Let me be honest with you. God is never going to set it up where it's just like a dance in the park where you just get to like have this wonderful, perfect moment where you get to guide them to Jesus Christ and, and there's just this butterfly, TV, CW, whatever it is, relationship where you just get to walk them into this perfect situation of following Jesus Christ. That doesn't happen. It happens by you picking up your cross, by your life being inconvenienced, by carrying that burden so that someone else can follow Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of us have been praying for someone in our lives. And the answer to that prayer is simply right there, waiting for us to pick it up and to put it on our shoulders and to carry it for that individual so that God can work and move and become alive in their lives. At its very core, being a follower of Jesus Christ means taking our selfishness and putting it to the side and bearing a burden for someone else. As I hold this cross, one of the things I personally recognize, and as I've had the chance to bear this now for a little bit over this sermon and have to wait because I get to do this again at 11 o'clock, yay! Uh, <laughs> is recognizing that where I am in my life is because other people have carried this for me. They have sacrificed. They've made hard decisions. They've allowed themselves to be inconvenienced. They have labored. There have been times where I didn't recognize they were carrying this for me, right? Where I forgot that they were carrying this for me. Where I wasn't grateful for it. I wasn't appreciative of it. Where I didn't deserve them carrying this for me. But they did. They struggled under this so that I could be the person that I am today. Most likely, someone has done this for you. Someone has done this for you. Never doubt that you have this opportunity to pick up your cross and to change someone's life. Parents out there, Everyone in this church, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, individuals of this wonderful community in western New York, carry your cross for someone else. Carry your cross. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, God above, God, I thank you for the opportunity to carry my cross for you. God, I recognize that there are times in life that I don't want that on my shoulders, but God, allow me to remember those who have carried it for me. Allow me to sacrifice for them, to be that person who puts the desires and the opportunities of others before myself. God, when I feel that call, that is probably Satan pushing me to be selfish, pushing and driving me to make selfish decisions. God, make it clear to me and allow me to kick back. Allow me to throw selfishness out of my life.
and now allow me to live a life as Jesus did of sacrifice. God, I pray a blessing over each and every one of us. When it comes to our discipleship walk, help us in that journey. Help us, God, to make decisions for ourselves and for others that help us to be intentional in guiding each and every one of us to a relationship with you, God. Bless us in that and guide us. Work in our hearts. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.